couple of months uh, at Berean, I've been preaching a series through the Psalms. We're not doing all of them, um, but what we have been doing is looking at the different genres of the Psalms, taking one that sort of represents that genre and kind of exploring it. So uh, there's the, the penitential Psalms that show us how to confess our sins. There are the Psalms of Trust that show us how to deal with our worries. There's the Psalms of Praise that teach us how to describe God in ways that are appropriate. Uh, there's the Enthronement Psalms that talk about God's kingdom and kingship. And uh, then there's the Lament Psalms. The Lament Psalms teach us how to talk to God about suffering. Uh, they're not the bright and happy kind of prayers. Uh, in fact, they're anything but. What's really interesting about that, though, is that if you look at the different genres of psalms, um, no psalm shows up more in the collection that we have in the Old Testament than the lament psalms. In fact, depending on how you categorize them, uh, uh, typically people will recognize that about half of the psalms are laments, which is a little bit interesting. Especially interesting to me because it makes me think that perhaps uh, not only do we not know how to talk to God, which is why we have the Psalms, we don't know how to talk to God on our own, but we especially may not know how to talk to God about our suffering. So the Lament Psalms help us do that. So we're going to read uh, the whole Psalm. Uh, is it your custom to stand? The reading? All right, if you would, let's go ahead and stand if you're physically able. It is a tradition we have at our church that I enjoy it. Just as a way of showing respect to the scriptures. Psalm 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. So help us, Father, as we look to your word tonight. What we don't know, teach us. What we don't have, give us. And what we are not yet, make us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Psalms, the Psalms are unique in the Scripture uh, because of how they are meant to be used. Um, you wouldn't want to just go to the Psalms and sort of lift out propositions or ideas because not all of those may be very good. Sometimes the psalmist may say, God listens to me. Other times the psalmist may say, God doesn't listen. So uh, if you were to look at, at them in uh, that logical way, they may not make a lot of sense. But they're, 
what they are are God's words meant to be spoken back to him. So they don't just give us ideas or concepts. They show us paths to God from every area of our life. So they're sort of like an inspired set of maps for how you answer God. When we read God's word, he speaks to us. When we pray, we answer back to him. Now, how do we answer back to him? Well, a lot of us may be inclined to trust ourselves. uh, Because especially in, in our age, sometimes spontaneity is confused with spirituality. Perhaps we assume the best kind of prayer are the ones we just make up from nothing. And that's really being spiritual, to be off the cuff, to not be scripted. Of course, most Christians have realized through most of time that that's really not the best way to talk to God at all. And that's why we've been using the Psalms. Uh, It's interesting, Paul told the church at Ephesus, which was made up of a lot of Gentiles, the Hebrew Bible was foreign to them, it was very old even then, he told them that when they were filled with the Spirit, one of the first evidences of that was that they would be using the Psalms in worship. So perhaps spirituality isn't just making things up, but perhaps we need a script. In other words, we need God to show us how to talk to Him. Now, I think this is especially true with suffering. Because as Christians, we are tempted when we are suffering and when we're going through a trial to either not talk to God at all and give up on prayer, or perhaps to sugarcoat it. Now, the, the, the lament psalms don't do either of those two things. When we engage with the laments in the Psalms, they don't tell you your suffering should be kept from God, so don't be honest with Him about it. They don't tell you that. And they certainly don't tell you not to pray. Laments show us how to get to God. They give us a map how to talk to God from the place of suffering. So this Psalm tells us then how we pray in the darkness. How we pray when the, when, when the deepest part of us is hurting so badly, we feel like God has abandoned us. How do we pray when we can't find God, when we can't feel God, when it seems like God is no longer a part of our lives? David signals this is how he is feeling when he uses these words, how long? Now, if you look to David's life toward the beginning of it, toward the beginning of his, you know, being used by God, uh, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He had a lot of military victories. He was widely known. He was appreciated. He was respected among God's people. He was loved. He may have thought if being the king meant an easy life, then he would really have an enjoyable several decades. But of course, we know that is not the case. David was used by God, was chosen by God to do this special task, but his biography has many, many dark chapters. Sometimes it's of his own making. Sometimes it's others, but almost none of it fits down into a PG-13 rating. He had a hard life. Many times of suffering. In fact, David had so many times of suffering, there's all kinds of arguments about what time Psalm 13 was written. And the the point that all those discussions can exist is because David has so many trials in his life, we don't even know where Psalm 13 could fit because it fits in so many different places. We don't know where it came from. 
So David lived a life of suffering, and he also knew how to talk to God in that suffering with God's help. Because, of course, the Psalms come from God, meant to be spoken back to him. His situation around him is unbearable. It feels as if God himself has forgotten him. The imagery is darkness, and for the the Hebrew writers, that means God's face is not on him. In other words, there's no light. God's approval is not toward him. God's presence is not with him. When it comes to his spirituality, he feels like he is stumbling in darkness. And of course, as God's people, we can feel the same way. Being a Christian doesn't mean we're always smiling. It doesn't mean everything always works out. It doesn't mean we always have loads of money, uh, great relationships, and that everything is going okay. No, we go through suffering. We have friends that die. We face sickness. We endure hardships. We also can feel that God has abandoned us. That's what David was feeling. That's what David is praying. So how do you talk to God in a time like this? If you're going through a difficulty... If you're enduring some darkness, and that could be uh, you know, a big trial that just sort of lands on your shoulders like a weight from the sky. If yesterday you found out you had cancer, that'd be one of those just, it, it comes out of nowhere. It could be one of those. Or your darkness um, could be something a little more subtle and slow moving. This relationship that, that's been estranged, that's just has gotten worse slowly over the years with a child or with a parent or with a sibling or friend. It could be your work situation that's just slowly gotten worse. Your retirement status, you don't have enough money in the bank to live off of. You didn't think you'd live this long. Now what are you going to do? It could be one of those things. But there's a lot of things that can make us feel like God has turned the light off. That we no longer feel his presence. So how does David pray? And how can we pray when we are in the darkness? Well, the first thing that the psalmist does is he admits his feelings. That's verses 1 and 2. He asks this repeated question. It begins with how long? In other words, he's kind of accusing God that God has let something terrible happen to him. And that he's let it go on far too long. God, you've let this happen. It's terrible. And it is too long. How long are you going to forget me? How long, verse 1, will you hide your face from me? Verse 2. In verse 2, he asks, how long will he have to take counsel in himself? Meaning, how long will he have to look to himself to figure out life? It's like God is no longer helping him. How long? Is In the end of verse 2, will my enemy be exalted over me? In other words, how long are you going to bless your enemies more than you bless me? You're being better to them. God, you've shortchanged me. That's what I feel like. David is angry, upset, and he's frustrated. Not just at the problems, but he's angry and frustrated and upset at God. Do you notice how honest he is? In fact, it may make you a little bit uncomfortable. But of course, if that's the case, most of the Psalms may make us uncomfortable. Why would David talk to God like this? 
Why should we talk to God like this? Well, I guess you could argue that maybe this psalm is, has something wrong with it, or this is sort of an anomaly, but you'll find out many, 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 many of the psalms do the same thing. It almost sounds sacrilegious. He's being so honest with God. And, you know, this kind of exposes something interesting and about how people talk about their feelings. Now, secular people love to talk about their feelings. Uh, and, you know, if you look at uh, news coverage and books that are in and, and social media, uh, secular people sort of celebrate how they, they feel. And everything needs to sort of be, um, you know, if you feel a certain way, if you've been hurt, that just needs to put out there and be put out there and announced for everyone to know. And on the other hand, just as dramatic and extreme, a lot of times religious people will sort of ignore or stuff their feelings. Like if you're sad or unhappy, you know, don't show it around other Christians. They may judge you. Don't show it at church. You should be happy at church, that kind of idea. So secular people sort of celebrate their emotions. A lot of religious people hide their emotions. The Psalms don't do either of those things at all. Instead of David celebrating his emotions or making that something to be proud of or hiding it, he does something totally different. He brings it to God. The Psalms don't teach us to vent our emotions into the air and they don't teach us to cover up our emotions either. Neither of those things is really Christian. They do teach us that we need to be radically honest about our feelings, but in a particular way, we breathe them out to God in prayer. So how does the psalmist feel? He feels forgotten by God. doesn't mean he thinks that God doesn't cognitively know about him or remember him, but to be forgotten by God is a, a sort of an image for um, God is not blessing him. In other words, God is not on his side. To be forgotten by God means God is not remembering him favorably. God, you're not acting in my best interest. That's what he feels like. Now, is that true? No. It's not. But he still feels that way. And he still prays it. He feels forgotten by God. God had not abandoned him. God never abandons his, his people. He never abandons his promises, but it doesn't change the fact that David felt that way. You see, God is teaching us that when we pray uh, through our suffering, through our darkness, we need to be able to admit our feelings. Even if those feelings may not be right. We need to tell God when we're hurting. You know, um, you have two kinds of friends or acquaintances. There are people you can open up to, and there are people you can't open up to. Right? So all of you know someone, and if they were in front of you right now talking to you, and if they ask you, hey, how are you doing? You would tell them, okay. I mean, even if you had just, like, been attacked by a shark, you would just tell them, yeah, I'm good. You're not, go you're not going to open up yourself and tell them about all the suffering you're going through. Why? Because you don't trust them. You're not going to give them that information because you would feel exposed. You don't think they'll handle that information rightly. They could use that later against you or to manipulate you. So with some people, you don't tell them how you're feeling. But there's other people who, when they ask you, how are you feeling, you'll talk with them for an hour. What's the difference? 
you trust those people. And God is saying, listen, God is saying we can trust him. God, by letting us live a life of prayer, is always concerned with how we're feeling. And God does not want you to tell him, I'm good. Like you tell the people you can't trust. No, God, metaphorically, I guess, God has big enough shoulders to handle how we feel. You're not going to blow them away. And, and here's the thing. Why would we think that God can't handle our prayers of suffering? Why, do, why would we think we should sugarcoat our prayers or only talk to God in really nice, polite ways? Isn't that kind of like a cardboard God if he can just fall over by you expressing your feelings? The God of the Bible is not like that at all. Because the Psalms are full of people being honest with him. David is being honest with God, not because David is being irreligious. He's being honest with God because above all, David trusted God. And if you trust God, you'll be able to do the same thing. So David admits his feelings. That's the first step. That's the first step is admitting your feelings. And then in verses 3 and 4, he requests God's help. He asks God to intervene. God, this is how I feel. And then he goes to God, this is what I need you to do. I want you to act. That's verses 3 and 4. Consider, you see the verbs here, lighten. God, I want you to intervene. I want you to do something about this problem that I've been telling you about. David doesn't feel like God is listening, but he still goes to God anyway. And there's, there's something that this sort of unpacks for us, and that is that unbelief is not the same thing as doubt. Friend, it is a sin to unbelieve, to not believe God, to refuse to rely on him. That is a sin. It's not a sin to doubt. Unbelief doesn't trust God, and it is not looking for God. Doubt has trouble trusting God, but it is seeking Him. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is just faith that's stumbling around in the darkness, but it's still faith. David is still faithful because he is talking to God. Yes, he feels like God has abandoned him. He feels like God is ignoring him, but he comes to God anyway and asks God for help. He doesn't see God. He doesn't understand how God could be working. He's wondering how this could all be part of God's plan. But even though he's in the darkness, he still reaches out to God. So what do you do when you're in the darkness? Not only do you admit your feelings, but you reach out for him. You tell him how you feel and you ask him for his help. Then verses 5 and 6. David has admitted his feelings. He requests God's help and then he trusts in god's love look at verse five this is how he concludes the prayer but i have trusted in thy mercy my heart this is looking into the future shall rejoice in thy salvation this is how he ends i will sing unto the lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. 
Now, in the moments that it took David to sort of sob out verses 3 and 4, did his problems disappear? Did they go away? No, there's no indication of that whatsoever. Yet, yet, his conclusion remains the same. God, I've asked for your help, and now I'm going to trust in your love. See, David does not, David does not request God's help thinking that God is then going to be forced to automatically act. David does not reserve his praise and his trust for God only if God sort of just automatically responds to his request. That's not Yahweh. Now, that was the gods, that's very similar to the gods of Israel's neighbors. Because idolatry is essentially manipulative, right? Um, We've set out these grains for the sacrifice, so our harvest God is going to be forced to answer us. We've sacrificed this many children, so the moon God is going to be forced to answer us. So essentially, idolatry in David's day for all of of his pagan neighbors was doing things that would then bring the gods under your control. So you could essentially, through your sacrifices and work, do what you wanted them to do. David does not serve a God like that. David is under no illusion that, that God deserves his praise because he obeys David. Now, his, his request doesn't magically result in an answer. The problems are still there. But he trusts God anyway. God is not someone who can be sort of mechanic, uh, like mechanically forced what to do. But David is confident in him. He confesses that he trusts in God's mercy. This is God's loyal love to his people. God has made promises. David says, even though I cannot see how you are keeping those promises, I know you will keep those promises. I know you're going to bring us over to the other side, even though I don't know how you're going to do it. David is joyful because something in the future is so certain, it's as good as done. And what is he rejoicing in? That God will act for his people. The same joy that we have for ourselves that we know that God is going to act for us. He's going to do what he has said he will do. Not only is he sure of God's future rescue, but in verse 6, he can go back and reflect on the past. Now, he can't really revel in God answering the prayer, verses 3 and 4, because it hasn't happened. He doesn't know if it will happen. But he knows that in the long run, God is good. And in the past, God has already been good to him. He has, in the past, dealt bountifully with David. He's given David an abundance of all these blessings he doesn't deserve. And he's quick to thank God for those. He trusts in God's love. Now, there are times in our own lives where we have trouble reconciling God's promises with our present experience. Right? And we have to make a choice about whether or not we're going to trust him to carry out what he said he's going to carry out. We may think that, I know God says he justifies me because I am trusting in Christ. Because I'm trusting in Christ. I know he says I'm innocent, but I I don't always feel justified. I don't always feel like I'm on good terms with God. I don't always feel like he's treating me like I am, but, but I have to know he is. Sometimes there's a, there's a gap there. I know God has said he'll never forsake me. I know he has said he will never leave his people. But man, some days I'm tempted to think that he has. 
I know God has promised that he's going to sanctify me, that in the end, I will definitely be conformed in the image of Christ. And I'm going in that direction, even if it's seven steps backward, one step forward, one step forward. But I don't always feel like I'm being sanctified. David is having one of those moments. He knows that God is loving and dependable and merciful and bountiful. And at the same time, he is not feeling it but he still trusts in him anyway. Even though he can't see how it's working out. Of course, these promises aren't for everyone. The promise of God's rescue and love and faithfulness, is o- it's only for those who have accepted his offer. That's why the good news of Jesus is that God, who is going to judge us because of our sin, has also come in the person of Jesus to take our judgment for our sins so we can be forgiven. But outside of you receiving that by repentance and faith, then you can't actually rely on these promises. But for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, for those of us who are trusting in Christ, then the good news is in fact good news for us. And we can rely on the fact that in the future, rescue is coming. Even though we're stumbling around in the darkness now and we may not feel it or see it, We can know that it's coming. David trusts in his love. So how do you pray in the darkness? Your situation may not be exactly like the psalmists. Um, You may not be a, a, um, you know, a warrior king in the Near East being chased by armies. I don't assume any of you kind of fit that description. You don't look like it. But we do have our own sets of problems. And our own trials that make us ask questions like this. God, how long? How long? So what do you do when you're in the darkness? What do you do when you know God is there, but you can't feel him? You can't see him working in your your life. You've lost all the tangible evidences of him being in your favor and loving you and caring for you. How do you pray to God in the darkness You admit your feelings. You don't just air them and you don't stuff them. You take them to God in prayer and be honest with him about how you actually feel. God wants you to be able to do that because he wants you to trust him. And then you request his help. You may not know how he's going to do anything for you, but you still ask his help anyway. And then And then third, you trust his love. You trust that God, who you're having trouble seeing and recognizing right now, the God who seems distant, who seems far away, you trust in his love. You know he won't abandon his people. Rescue is coming. It's on the way. That he is good. You can rely on him. And that he's listening to you. Admit your feelings. Request his help and trust his love. Friend, if you're going through something right now that's making you wonder how long, don't use that as an excuse to run from God. Use that as a motivation to run to God. God can get our attention in our sorrow. He can become closer to us in our hard times. And He is infinitely worthy of our trust. So if you're in the darkness like David was, go to God. Go to God. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight.
Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use it to strengthen those that are faithful, that you would use it to comfort those who are hurting, relieve those who are sick, guide those who are wandering. And for any of us who, for whatever reason, have been thinking this week, how long? Lord, would you help us take the words of this psalm to heart? Would you help us use this as a map for talking to you? Lord, accomplish your will in the hearts of your people. And from hearing your word tonight, would you make us more like your son? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.